Abimelech died, the people came to his son. And they said to his son, whose name was Rechavam, they said to Rechavam, we can't afford to pay the tax. We can't keep paying the tax. You have to lighten the burden. We can't live. We work and we pay the tax. Rechavam, in a less than diplomatic manner, said, what? I like the tax. In fact, I'll make even more tax so that I could live a better life, Rechavam. And because of that, there was a revolution. There was a revolution, and the northern tribes, the northern tribes, meaning north of Yerushalayim, the tribes that were north of Yerushalayim decided to split off and create a kingdom which was called unromantically the northern kingdom. So there was in Eretz Yisrael the southern kingdom that was also called Yehuda, and there was the northern kingdom that was called Yisrael. Very good. And in the northern kingdom, there was a new king, a second king. Rechavam was the king in Yehuda, and in Yisrael, there was another king whose name was Yeravam Benavat. Good, terrific. We're alive and well. Yeravam <laughs> Benavat, even though he turned out to be a terrible person, and so indicated in the Gemara at the end of Sanhedrin. Yerav Amben Nevat was a legitimate king of Israel, anointed by a Navi, by a prophet whose name was, it's a little tricky, right? Achiah Hashiloni. Achiah Hashiloni. I was never good on quizzes, so don't, it shouldn't bother you at all. Achiah Hashiloni anointed Yerav Amben Nevat. Yerav Amben Nevat, therefore, was a legitimate king of of, of Israel, he wasn't a usurper. He was a king, I believe. He turned out to be a terrible person. So Yeravam ben Nevat, he looked around and he said, I have a problem. All the Jews, when it comes to Yontif, or when it comes to bringing Korbanot, or it comes to bringing Chataot, they all go to Yerushalayim. He says, how are we gonna kind of have an independent country if everybody in our country, in the north, goes to Yushalayim, which is part of the south, in order to do whatever they have to do, or their religious duties are. Question. So Yeravam came up with this brilliant idea, and he said, I'm going to make a competitive Beit HaMikdash. Not only will I make a competitive Beit HaMikdash, but I'm going to make two of them. Two. One in Beit El, and one in Dan. And since you all live here, or have been around, you know that in the north, the north means every place north of Yerushalayim, right? The north of the north is Dan. You probably have visited the waters that are connected to Dan, and the south of the north is called, is Beitel. North of the north is Dan, the south of the north is Beitel. So, Yeravam ben Nevat decided, decided to build 
temples in the north of the north and the south of the north so that the people of the north wouldn't have to go to Yerushalayim. But then they said to him, Yeravam, what is going to make our Mikdash competitive with the Mikdash in Yerushalayim? I'm Yerushalayim. They have an Aron and they have a Menorah and they have a Shulchan and they have Kohanim. How are we going to compete with that? What is going to draw people to the Mikdash that we built in Dan and Be'er Sheva? Uh, you know what Yerubam said? We'll build a golden calf and we'll put a golden calf in Dan I will put a golden calf in Beersheba, and then everybody will know. Everybody will know that this is serious. So even though I can't explain it, even though I don't understand it, Yeravam ben Nevat knew his people, and he knew that they would be affected by the building of a golden calf just as the Jews leaving Mitzrayim had it somehow in their genetic makeup, a golden calf, that's really something. And that's what they did. And that's the story in the parashah of Kitisa that we are relating to. Why? Why were they forgiven by a Kodesh Baruch for what they did? Why was it that Moshe Rabbeinu was able to defend them? What sort of defense could you muster for such an act? Remember, Moshe Rabbeinu was on Har Sinai receiving the Torah. B'nai Yisrael had just gone through what in English is called theophany, like uh, this meeting with God at Har Sinai where they found out that they're going to get the, the Torah. And then they go and they build this golden calf. And they worshipped that golden calf. And they, they sang around and they danced and they were happy. And they made a, a holiday out of it. Can you imagine? You imagine. And then Moshe Rabbeinu goes to HaKadosh Baruch and says something. And they are forgiven. The whole story doesn't quite jive. Doesn't quite make sense. So look at a pasuk. Another a pasuk that really doesn't make sense. There's a pasuk at the, in, in our parasha. Moshe Rabbeinu is making his argument. You remember the argument that Moshe Rabbeinu made? Which we, you know, you go to shul, you hear the argument, you know, in Tanit Sibur. Moshe Rabbeinu said, oh, you know, people are going to say that a Kaddish Baruch Hu was not able to take them out of Mitzrayim, and so they died in the desert. I wouldn't say that that is kind of a real defense of Am Yisrael, but that's what, I call, that's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. But it didn't work. It wasn't good enough. And finally, there's a concluding argument by Moshe Rabbeinu in this parasha. There's a concluding argument to which Moshe Rabbeinu says, this is it. And that's our pasuk. So if you look, it says in the pasuk, Vavta. Vavta means now. Now means I'm about to say something very important. This is Moshe Rabbeinu talking to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Moshe Rabbeinu talks to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, says, Ata em tisa chatatam. Tisa, the Hebrew word probably is to bear, to bear the weight. 
if you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will bear the weight of their sin. You have to add, as Rashi always says, sometimes you have to add words in a pasuk. So you have to add the words, okay. Again, if you bear the burden of their, of their sin, meaning if you forgive them, Adding words, the two words we add are okay. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's disargument with the Kodesh Baruch If you forgive them, great. Vim ayin. But if you don't forgive them, or if you don't agree to forgive them, mecheni na misifrecha asher katafta. Please. Just don't tell me you understand what that says. I mean, what kind of argument could that possibly be? What is becheni nami sifricha? First of all, what's the sifricha? We don't even know that there was exactly a sefer, even though Rashi says that there was a sefer already. Moshe Rabbeinu just came down from Har Sinai with the Aserite de Brot, with the Luchot, with these tablets which he threw down and he broke them because, of course, he had no one to give them to. There was no one who could hold them. There was no one who, no one who was innocent, really, at that moment. So listen again. Moshe Rabbeinu is making the ultimate argument, the argument that comes after every other argument that he could make. And he says, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Im tisachatatam, im tisachatatam, okay. If you bear the, if you will bear with them, if you will forgive them, if you will let Jewish history go on, and not as a Kodesh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, oh, we'll get rid of all of them, and we'll start over again. And instead of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, we'll have Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu will be the father of a nation. And that was the suggestion made by Kodesh Baruch Hu. Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, I reject that su suggestion. And he says, Im if you will forgive them, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but Im Ayin, if you're not going to forgive them, this is what is called a non sequitur. And in school, if you're in the fourth grade or the fifth grade, and you write something that, that the teacher takes a red pen and makes an X, non sequiturs are no good because they don't make sense. And this doesn't make sense. Why would Moshe Rabbeinu say, why would Moshe Rabbeinu say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, what sort of an argument is that in favor of erase me from the book which you have written how and what way does that defend B'nai Yisrael? How does that guarantee their continued existence? How does that give them life? How does that give them life? I mean, you have to, in order to understand the answer to the question, in order to understand the way that Rav Nachman of Bratzlav understood this pasuk, we have to understand something about Moshe Rabbeinu. What was Moshe Rabbeinu's job? What was his position? Do you have an idea? We all know that Moshe Rabbeinu's job, so to speak, 
was to bring B'nai Yisrael from Mitzrayim to Har Sinai to Eretz Kinan. That was his job. But that doesn't tell me really what his job was. Because was he like a, like a coach in a basketball team? Like trying to get the team to do the right thing, but if he failed, you just kick him out and get another one? Was that Moshe Rabbeinu? You remember when Moshe Rabbeinu discussed his job with the Kaddish Baruch Hu standing at the sne, sne, the sne that was burning, the burning bush that was not consumed. Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to go. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu, do you think Moshe Rabbeinu said, I don't want to go? Why did he say, send somebody else? Why did he say, I don't speak clearly? I've had problems with convincing people all my life. Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch said, no, 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 it's you, you're going, it's your job, you've got the job. And finally he was convinced, it's true, HaKadosh Baruch said, Aaron will help you out, but Moshe Rabbeinu finally was concerned. So we, it's hard for us to understand. What do you mean you have an argument with God? And then after you have an argument with God, you agree? I mean, you agree. I mean, why didn't you agree at the beginning? Why didn't you agree at the end? Why didn't you agree at the beginning? So that I think that the simple pshat is. You know what simple pshat is? It's what I think. Everything else is complicated. The simple pshat is that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted, didn't want a job. He wanted a position that guaranteed success. He said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I, I don't want to be the tour guide. I'm not going to be the person who tells them go to the left or go to the right where they leave Mitzrayim. I want to make sure that I'm the person who's going to bring them to Eretz Kinan, or bring them first to Har Sinai and then to Eretz Kinan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said yes. Yes meaning, yes meaning that you will be successful. You'll be successful. Now, look at Rav Nachman. Now you have to, if you understand that, if you're following, look at Rav Nachman. You see it's on the page, the bottom part of the, of the sheet. Rav Nachman said this. Bishvil Zeh. I mean, it's continuing an idea that we can't, we don't have time for today. But Bishvil Zeh, it says, Palel Moshe al Ha'egel Amar, Okay, Rav Nachman is going to explain this pasuk, which we have just looked at, right? The argument that Moshe Rabbeinu made in order to ensure that Am Yisrael would be redeemed at this time. It is impossible. Rav Nachman says, Shelo yavo la'adam ezegadlut. People suffer from achieving greatness. People, when they hear others speak of them highly, what a great person he is. What a great achiever he is. 
What a great Talmud Chacham he is. When you speak about a person like that, I'm going back to the beginning of the line. Shelo yavola adam It's inconceivable that if a person is looked upon as being a great person, when he hears people talking about him, and they say, oh, what a wonderful person, what a high achiever, what a righteous individual. Kol Shekain, certainly, Certainly this is true. If a person was complimented by a king, complimented by a king, of course here the metaphor is Moshe Rabbeinu, HaKadosh Baruch a person, the king. So if, you, if that person is complimented, if his righteousness, if his spiritual uh, uh, uniqueness is raised on a banner, if you say, oh boy, what a person he is, Translated, it's inconceivable, right? It's not possible. It cannot happen. Hear the word gadlut, lack of humility. It's impossible, Rav Nachman says, to withstand praise. It's impossible for a person not to be affected by compliments of an extreme sort. And certainly, if the king compliments you, the king says, oh, there's something special about you. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu comes to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, you'll be the leader, you'll take them out of Mitzrayim, or if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, let's do away with this people, with this group, and you will become the father of a new nation. So those compliments, those compliments affect that person. Like you say, gee, I'm really something. I'm really special. There's no one else quite like me. It's impossible for you to avoid that. Lack of humility. In order to deal with that, in order to deal with this frightening thing where you become a personification of the lack of humility, you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to drive out that feeling that you have. You have to like keep yourself under control. Hargashotav, his feelings. Vechamriyotav, and, uh, and the physicality of him, which likes that. You like the idea that people say, oh, you look good. Somebody told me that tonight, but I didn't believe them. Azai yachol ha'adam he says, if you keep yourself under control, if you have some kind of, you're disciplined, 
if you're able to say to yourself, okay, this is the way of talking, it's just the way of speaking, it doesn't mean anything, it doesn't really mean that I am special because I have the problems that I have and I'm the person who I am. And as such, I'm always fighting, you know, in the way of, of the, the, the Tanya. I'm always fighting to justify myself and who I am. He says, So he can hear, he can hear that he's special, but he doesn't lose his humility. And I use that word advisedly. He doesn't use that advisedly. Okay, before we explain it, or that line, I want to remind you of the fact. I want to remind you of the fact that when God created man, the Pasuk says, Nase Adam Yes? You remember that? And so the problem that people, that everybody relates to, is why did it say na'aseh plural? Na'aseh b'tzalmenu. We will make. Who's we? Who is we? So you know, if you remember, that the Ibn Ezra is the one who said, pluralis maestatus. There's such a thing. When you want to impress people and you're speaking English, American English, say a word in Latin. Somebody told me that once. So there you have it. The plural of the king. You know, when the king talks, also the queen. But when the king talks, he says, we are going to sleep. He doesn't say, I am going to sleep. Because that would be embarrassing and insulting to think that the king was like everybody else. But the king says, we. So that means, why does the Pasuk say, Nase Adam? Nase means the king. King is a Kaddish Baruch Who made man? Kaddish Baruch made man. But Rashi takes a different tact. Rashi says this. Anvitanuto shel HaKaddish Baruch hizot. Humility. It's God's humility. God said, looked around and saw the heavenly hosts and he said to the heavenly hosts, whoever they are, said to the heavenly hosts, let's make a man. Let's agree to make a man. And that was humility. So why does God have to be humble for the, for the heavenly hosts? So I think that what Rashi meant to say was, that what Rashi meant to say was that God created humility. Why did God create the humility? Because humility is the weapon that man was given in order to preserve his achievement. When Moshe Rabbeinu died, the Torah eulogized him. Very short eulogy. Anav mikol adam. The most humble of all the people. What does that mean? that he was the most, what does it mean that he was the most humble? Does it mean that he didn't know he had value, that he took the Jews out of Mitzrayim, that he brought them right to the edge of Eretz Canaan? No, he knew all that. 
He knew he was valuable. He knew that nobody else could do what he had done. Humility means, humility means that he had reference points that enabled him to maintain his equilibrium. He had stood before God. You know, when you stand before God, you're not that interested in the seat that you sit in in shul. Right? When you stand before God, it doesn't matter that much how much you spent on buying your house or a car or whatever it is you like to spend money on. That's called anava. Anava, humility, is the way you place yourself within the greater context. And the greater context is close to God, closer to God, further from God. That's the context. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, I'm referencing the previous discussion. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that God had appointed him in order to lead B'nai Yisrael and bring them to Mitzrayim. And since God appointed Moshe Rabbeinu, he couldn't fail. Moshe Rabbeinu really couldn't understand what was going on. He looked around and he said, why are we having this difficulty? Why is it that I am unable to guarantee the safety of Am Yisrael on their way to Eretz Canaan? I, after all, am appointed by a Kodesh Baruch to bring them to Eretz Canaan. It should not be a question. It shouldn't be an issue. There shouldn't be a problem, and yet there is a problem. So along comes Rav Nachman of Ratzlov, and Rav Nachman of Ratzlov said, that a person can protect himself against this lack of humility, the end of the fourth line. You see the fourth line? You count one, two, three, four. The end of that line, the last three words, everybody knows that there are many psukim in the Torah that don't seem to have a content. But they are, they say, again and again and again. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, if I have trouble leading B'nai Yisrael, if I'm problematic in creating an environment where Am Yisrael will get certainly to Eretz Canaan, it must be because I've lost some element of leadership. I messed up. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, I just was at Har Sinai. What could that have been? What was it that caused me to lose the edge of leadership? He says, I looked into the Torah. And it says again and again, It says it again and again and again. And it seems to be an unnecessary, an otios verse. Unnecessary in that it doesn't contain any particular content. So you have all these psukim in the Torah that just say, Moshe Rabbeinu. That's all they say. He says, it must be that I have become, my, my, my humility has been dulled. The edge has been taken off of my ability.
ability, by ability, to be humble before God. Because I appear again and again in the Torah. It's like somebody with an album. It sees picture again and again. So oh, look at that. Look at that. It's like a wedding album. Of course, it's changed. In my day, I think we got married, you got 100 pictures. Now you get 2,000 pictures. So if you have 2,000 pictures, it takes you a week to look at your pictures, just to look at them. So that could produce a lack of humility, without a doubt. I mean, the same people are in the middle of every picture. It's like a little bit, you know. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, Moshe Rabbeinu says, it must be that something about me which enabled me to be Moshe Rabbeinu has been affected by what I did on Har Sinai, by the, the Torah that I saw, the psukim that were written, and the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu's name is, is, is stated again and again and again. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu said to Baruch I want to be Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to be the person who's going to take them out of Mitzrayim and bring them to Eretz Israel. I want to be the person who will do it with certainty, who will definitely succeed. And therefore, Kodesh Baruch Hu, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Kama, Kama. Mecheni na mesifricha. Just erase me. Erase my name. I don't want my name to be in the parsha again and again and again because that's causing me, obviously, that's causing me great distress, unhappiness, and the inability to go on. Before we finish, Rabbi Nachman, I want to tell you something about this pasuk. You see in the middle, there's a source in the middle, a pasuk, the first pasuk. <laughs> Are you still with me? Here I am. <laughs> can't do that on television. Oh, you can do it. We do that. I, mean, I do it on the web yeshiva, but uh, no one pays attention. It says in last week's parish, last week's parish is called Titzaveh, right? Titzaveh. And it starts with these words, Ata, a pronoun referring to you, Moshe Rabbeinu. But it doesn't have Moshe Rabbeinu's name. Just Ata. Just Ata. So in the commentary called the Balaturim, the Balaturim, you know, when he wasn't busy writing his great work, the Tur Shulchan Aruch, he wrote a commentary on the Chumash, that was easy. So his commentary on the Chumash was a commentary on the Mesorah. I'm sorry I said that because I can't explain exactly what the Misora was right now. I think I could explain it, but I don't think now I, I'm going to do it now. Listen to what the Balaturim said. You see? You see it? Lo kir Moshe vazeh hasedah. The name Moshe is not listed in this parasha. Seder means parasha. Vizeh Moshe 
And so the Balaturim says this is a little odd. Because every single parasha, starting from the parish of Shemot, the first parasha of the book of Shemot, where Moshe Rabbeinu is born, every parasha until the end of the Torah mentions Moshe Rabbeinu except for this one, except for Tetzaveh. That's pretty good, no? Like he had that kind of memory. He knew that. Vatam. How come? How come Moshe Rabbeinu's name appears in every single parasha, but not in this one, Tetzaveh? Question. Answer. Vatam. The last word on the second line. Vatam. Since Moshe Rabbeinu said, now we know that pasuk. He said, he said to Kodesh Bohu, erase me, erase me from the Sefer Torah. The, and that's quoted in several places. And we know the Gemara says, "Kilelat Chacham Afilu Al Tnai Ba'a." Kilelat Chacham, some an interdiction by a great scholar. Something happens, even if. It's al tnai, even if it's conditional and the condition is not fulfilled and you, you didn't have to do it, it's still, it, there's a remnant. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, so it appears someplace, right? It appears that, that it can't go on unnoticed. It's like if Moshe Rabbeinu said something and then nothing happened. So even though HaKadosh Baruch responds to Moshe Rabbeinu. You see the second pasuk, the top, the top group of psukim. Vayom Hashem Moshe, mi asher liem chenom isifri. Oh, no, I'm not going to erase you, Moshe Rabbeinu. You're okay. But I'll erase whoever sinned. We don't know who that is, but that's the response. So according to the Balaturim, what's left is the statement of Moshe Rabbeinu Mecheinina Mesifricha, and that took place in the parasha of Tetzaveh, last week's parasha, where Moshe Rabbeinu's name is not mentioned. It's a kind of Mecheinina, erase me, b'ze'er anpin, miniature. It's a miniature Mecheinina uh, Mesifricha. Let's go back to, let's go back to uh, uh, Rabbi Nachman. If you look at the sixth line, the fifth word, Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. Right? Vayomer Hashem El Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu said, Erase my name. Give me back my humility. Make me the great leader that I was destined to be. Allow me to make sure that B'nai Yisrael will continue their trek in history to go to Eretz Kenan. Yisrael. And B'nai Yisrael, think of the Torah as the gift of Moshe Rabbeinu v'hu ba'atzmo m'saper lahem shebachav v'lo haya l'moshe shum hitpa'arut v'gadlut m'zeh. And Moshe Rabbeinu maintained his humility. He was not, it wasn't removed from him. He didn't uh, achieve glory and greatness. Kimoshe katuv vaish Moshe anav meod. Right? Moshe Rabbeinu was very humble. 
meaning that that was the distinguishing feature. And that's what a hespade is. A hespade is not storytelling about the person who died, but a hespade is an attempt to encapsulate the person in an idea, in a moment, in a sentence. And that's Ra'ish Moshe Anav Ma'od. And because he had this mida, this quality of humility, which is, comes from Nase Adam Bitsalmenu Chidmutenu, who is an Adam? Who is it that Akadish Bohu was thinking about? So Rashi says, Anvetanuto Shel Akadish Bohu Hizo. It's the mida. It's the quality of humility. And this is what made it possible for Moshe Rabbeinu to cause atonement, even for the chet of Egel, of the, of the golden calf, as great as that chet might have been. Uh, because of this humility, he was able to do it. He was able to pull it off. He explains the pasuk again. But if you don't, he says to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I knew, in that way you show because you tell, you're actually saying, he says to HaKadosh Baruch you're saying, I don't have it. I lost it. I lost whatever it is you have to have to be Moshe Rabbeinu, to have the humility necessary to lead B'nai Yisrael. And so, Makashati, what I ask is, erase me, that I will not stumble on the sin of lack of humility, thinking I have greatness. Shaniro eight that I listen all the time. Everybody's reading from the Torah. They keep saying by the Moshe Who who could protect himself from this oppression? I mean, who, who could possibly see his name in the Torah and not lack humility as a result? You have to really be very humble. And if I am humble, then you, HaKadosh Baruch have to forgive them. And God forgives those who are left. 
This is the true meaning of the kingship of God, this ability that God has, that God has to forgive. So if we asked, who was Moshe Rabbeinu? Moshe Rabbeinu was not the leader of B'nai Yisrael in the sense that we think today about leadership, but Moshe Rabbeinu was the insurance policy of Am Yisrael. It was almost as if the Torah is telling us if they could be a Moshe Rabbeinu, that itself justifies the existence of Am Yisrael. Yes, not perfect, not yet perfect, but Moshe Rabbeinu, I mean, that kind of leadership never existed before and changed the, the way we understand the march of Am Yisrael through history. And so Moshe Rabbeinu had difficulty understanding why it was that he was on the breach of failure. And in the way of true leadership, he accepted the responsibility. He said, it must be my fault. I must, it must be something about me which doesn't match up to the qualities necessary to be the true leader of Am Yisrael. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu looked around and he said, what could it have been? I mean, we know that Moshe Rabbeinu suffered indignities, but he did not change his way. The humility that he inherited was with him all the time. It wasn't that everybody recognized it. Even his sister, his brother, they had difficulties at times in understanding who Moshe Rabbeinu really was and actually was. But Moshe Rabbeinu was not deterred. He went in his way, humbling himself, understanding that his experience was way beyond what anybody else could give him. And so he looked around and he said, it must be this odd fact that I appear so many times in God's Torah. And that is, must be what's turning my head, what's making me feel uh, that the, uh, the, special, uh, the special humility that I used to have must be failing. There must be some chinks in my armor. And so Moshe Rabbeinu, again, as a leader, as a true leader, he said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because it's more important that I lead B'nai Yisrael to Eretz Canaan than anything else, than any other job that I might have, than any other responsibility that I might have. So as much as I wish that I didn't have to do this, I obviously, there's got to be some way of returning me to my position as the leader of Am Yisrael. And so Rav Nachman, Rav Nachman teaches us that yes, there was a struggle. Moshe Rabbeinu was part of the struggle of leadership for Am Yisrael. Can you regain it? Can you hold on to it? Can you hold on to anava? Can you hold on to humility in spite of everything that happens in the world? And Moshe Rabbeinu was the model who was able to do it. And that's what the Torah meant 
when it eulogized Moshe Rabbeinu and said, Anav, we call it more humble, more humble than any, any other person because he was willing to sacrifice his humility for the goodness of Am Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu turned back to Moshe Rabbeinu and said, no, it's not your fault. And therefore, it is possible to forgive B'nai Yisrael for building the golden calf. B'nai Yisrael was forgiven for building the calf. It continued to live and got to Eretz Kedan. But as we said earlier on, Yeravam ben Nevat did not forget this inclination that B'nai Yisrael had for the golden calf and try to dissuade them from Yerushalayim unsuccessfully, Baruch Hashem. And uh, eventually the northern kingdom dissolved and disappeared and we were left only with Yerushalayim. And Yerushalayim became the center of all of Eretz Yisrael. And hopefully somehow humility will return to Am Yisrael. A little hard to find humility at the time of elections. But who knows? Maybe. All the best. Have a good Shabbos.